Amen. This Advent, we've been looking at the book of Ruth, and we're calling the series Hope Restored. But if you're not familiar with Ruth, or if you haven't been here the past couple of weeks, I just want to trace that story out for you so that you understand why we're calling it that. The story of Ruth, first the book of Ruth, is in the Old Testament. Ruth's story takes place over a thousand years before Jesus' birth. It begins in a time of political and moral chaos. Uh, And in Ruth chapter 1, we meet Naomi and her family, uh, and they leave their home in Bethlehem in Israel. Uh, Bethlehem means the house of bread. But in Ruth's day and Naomi's day, there is no bread in the house of bread. There's a famine. And so they leave and they go to the country of Moab, which is disturbing because that's enemy territory. Uh, And yet, for some reason, this family of Israelites seeks to find hope outside of God's promised land. They seek to find hope in the far country of Moab. And what they find instead is more heartache. Naomi's husband dies. Uh, And while her two sons do get married, then they die. And so you have, in very short order, three widows, which is a pretty hopeless situation indeed. But then Naomi hears that the Lord has visited his people, that the famine is beginning to end in Bethlehem. And so she begins making her trek back there. uh, And she tells her daughters-in-law, both of whom are from Moab, she tells them to go home. Uh, because uh, it's not a really good idea to attach yourself to a widow uh, with no prospects and no money. And one of those daughters-in-law does go home, but one of them stays, and her name is Ruth. And Ruth makes this somewhat shocking uh, statement. She tells Naomi, where you go, I will go. Uh, Where you die, I will die. Your people will be my people And your God will be my God. Now, with that statement, what Ruth does is she effectively turns her back on her past, on her home, on her culture, on her religion. And she attaches herself to God's promise, to the God of Israel, and to his people, Israel. So she she is, in effect, saying, I'm going to find my future with you and with your God and not back there. Which is, a, which is a shocking uh, profession of faith, we might call it. And so they go back to Bethlehem, and that gives us a little bit of glimmer of, of hope on the horizon. And then last week we looked at Ruth chapter 2, and uh, we saw Ruth go to work, gleaning in the fields to provide for herself and for Naomi. And there Ruth meets Boaz, a landowner and relative of her late father-in-law. And we see that Ruth and Boaz are both conduits. They are channels of God's kindness. Ruth showing steadfast love to Naomi, and Boaz showing steadfast love to Ruth and Naomi, to the two widows. And what we learn is that we too uh, can be channels of God's grace, particularly in times of upheaval and uncertainty. And we're going to heighten that theme, develop that theme a little bit more this morning as we look at Ruth chapter 3. So if you would, uh, turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible of your own, we invite you to grab. There should be 
Uh, hopefully a Bible in front of you there in the chair uh, with a black cover on it. And if you don't own a Bible, we invite you to take that one with you. Uh, Ruth chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Isn't Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? Look, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. That's meant to be a little humorous. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help. We pray that you would help us to understand your word. This is a particularly puzzling passage. And so, Lord, we ask that you would lead us in this. Uh, Lord, we also pray that you would help us to apply your word. Uh, what do we need to, how do we need to change? What do we need to believe? What do we need to do? Lord, would you speak to us? Uh, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're new to Grace Fellowship, um, I want to explain to you, you're going to, maybe you've experienced a few things this morning, but if you have a church background, you would say, now that's different. Uh, And maybe that's the responsive reading or the way that we do music. But one of the ways that uh, we are different is the way that we handle the word or the way that we preach. Most sermons that you'll come into contact with really focus on the question of, of application, 
All right, what, am I, what, what is God telling me to do? What am I supposed to do with this? Uh, and that's a, that's a good question to ask. God's word does indeed do that. But it's not the first question we need to ask. The first question we need to ask is, what does this mean? And so that's why the way that we preach is called expository preaching. Basically, that means we're trying to expose the meaning of the passage because only when we have a right understanding of the passage are we able to apply it correctly. Now, I'll go ahead and be upfront and honest. Uh, the weakness of that uh, in our preaching is that sometimes we don't make it to application, right? So you end up with a whole lot of information that you don't know what to do with. I'm going to aim to do both, okay? Good sermon. A good sermon does both, which highlights the challenge of this passage, because what in the world is going on? What do you do with what we just read? Uh, ladies, I hope this is not how you will pursue a husband. Okay? Parents, uh, I hope this is not how you guide your daughters uh, to pursue a husband. Uh, you know, get all dressed up, get smelling nice, and go meet a man in the dark and lay at his feet till he notices you. Right? That's usually, that's not uh, the courting or dating strategy that we're going to, we encourage our families to take. Um, so, uh, what does this mean, and what, to, what do we do with this? Uh, that's, that's what I'm, I'm going to take a shot at it this morning. Uh, we're going to look at this small snippet of a story. And see, that's, that's part of the difficulty of a book like Ruth is it's a story. And so when you preach through a book like Ruth and you're taking one part of it out and looking at it, you're kind of having to remember that there's a, there's a flow here to this narrative, that this is going somewhere, and we're kind of stopping freeze frame and looking at this particular scene. But we're going to look at Naomi's gamble and Ruth's appeal and Boaz's response. Naomi's gamble, Ruth's appeal, and Boaz's response. Uh, so back in chapter 2, we learned that Boaz is a relative he is a kinsman of Naomi's late husband, Elimelech, okay? Uh, and we also learn that he is a redeemer. Now, we're going to talk more about what that means next week. But basically, in Israel, a redeemer was a close family member who could bail you out when you got in trouble. So if you lost your land or if you lost your husband or if you had ended up uh, enslaved, had to sell yourself into slavery to pay debts or whatever, it was the job of the Redeemer to come along and help out. That is what a Redeemer does. Your Bible may say kinsman Redeemer, okay? But th that's, that's the job of the Redeemer. So we find out that that's who Boaz is. He's related in some way to Elimelech, and he can function as a Redeemer. And so... After, right at the end of chapter 2, Naomi hears that Ruth has met Boaz. And you can kind of see the wheels starting to turn, right? She develops this plan. Some of us might call it a, a scheme, right? Uh, and now her, her motive is a good one, right? If you look at verse 1, look at what she says to Ruth. She says, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Uh, now, hold your finger right there. And I want you to flip back to Ruth chapter 1 uh, and look at verse, verses 8 and 9, okay? Now, back in chapter 1, Naomi is coming back. She's leaving Moab, and she tells her daughters-in-law 
to go back to Moab, right? To leave her, to go back. And notice what she prays for them, right? She says uh, there in verse 8, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you. There's the word we looked at last week, that hesed word, kindly, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Now, how does she want God to show that kindness to Ruth? May the Lord grant, or excuse me, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Same word. What Naomi wants for Ruth is rest, stability, a home, a future. That's a good desire. That's a good goal. That's what she wants for Naomi. Uh, and it may, I mean, excuse me, that's what Naomi wants for Ruth. And, and it appears that Naomi wants to be the agent of that blessing, right? Because she develops this plan, right? So motive, good. Method, I don't know, right? The question here is, uh, is Naomi going about a good thing the wrong way? Uh, and Bible scholars are split, okay? Some would say that uh, Naomi's showing ingenuity, uh, that she, she knows what Boaz's responsibility is, and so she is just trying to make that happen, that this is, this is Naomi stepping out in faith, uh, and then others would say that this is really reckless and rash of Naomi to do. Um, and the reason is because it, it's, and this is where both of them agree, whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea, it's a very risky move, right? It puts Ruth in a very dangerous position. She is a young woman. She is a foreigner. She has no position in society. She has no protection, no one to back her up. She's forming a good reputation, but this could ruin it. Uh, she could be assaulted in the dark. Boaz could take advantage of her, um, and there would be nothing she could do about it. So this, is, this puts Ruth in a, in a dangerous position. Uh, it also puts Boaz in a dangerous position because it could ruin his reputation in the community. And we saw in chapter 2 that he had a good one. It also challenges his integrity. Right? Here's a young woman laying at your feet in the dark. Who would know if you gave into temptation? Right? So this is uh, the author is kind of is, is painting the tension very starkly for us. This is a this is a difficult situation, right? Um, we don't really know what's gonna happen here. Naomi's motive is good, her method is questionable, but Ruth agrees uh, and goes along with the plan. And so she heads to the, the threshing floor, uh, and what this was is um, after the, the barley and the wheat were harvested out of the fields, they were brought down to the threshing floor, and they would take these heavy tools called threshing sledges, and they would basically beat the, beat the grain to separate the seed from the husk. And then they would take something like a pitchfork and throw that up in the air, and they would do it in the evening so that there was a breeze, and the breeze would blow the, the stuff you didn't want away, and the heavier seed would fall to the ground. And then you would gather it all up, and that would be your harvest. And so, um, and that was shared by multiple farmers, right? It was a community threshing floor. Uh, and it was a time of celebration. Uh, the, the harvest is being brought in. It was a time to eat good food and drink good wine. Uh, and so they're celebrating God's goodness to them. Uh, and so that's, that's the context uh, Ruth goes down uh, and she waits until all of that's done and it's dark and 
You know, if uh, if you've ever been out in the country, um, you know, you you wonder why Boaz says, "Who are you?" Well, if you've ever, you know, in the day before electric lights that were always on, it was dark, right? Uh, so there's a lot of tension here. What's going to happen here? Well, let's look at Ruth. Ruth's appeal. Uh, she she does exactly as her mother-in-law asked her to do. Uh, she uncovers his feet, which sounds scandalous, and it kind of is, uh, but it's not a euphemism for anything. We don't have any evidence that anything happened between Ruth and Boaz. Um, she literally just uncovers his feet. And you know how it is when the covers come off in the middle of the night. You get that, get that little chill, and it startles you awake. Well, that's what it does to Boaz. He's startled. He wakes up, and when he reaches for the covers... He finds a woman instead, right? It's a bit of a surprise. Um, And so now to this point, Ruth has gone along with Naomi's plan, but here she changes the script. Naomi tells her to go down and uncover his feet and then just wait for Boaz's instruction, but Ruth inserts something here, and it's very important. Look at verse 9 of chapter 3. He says, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Now, that word right there for servant does not mean like the lowest uh, position in the house. It actually means someone of a lower standing, but somebody of a marriageable age. Uh, so, so Ruth chooses her words carefully. Uh, excuse me, marriageable status. Um, but then she says this, spread your wings over your servant because you are a redeemer. She tells Boaz to spread your wings over me. Uh, now, you might have a footnote there that says you, you can also translate it, um, cover me with the, the corner of your garment. Uh, and so the, the, the visual, right, is, and is of, a, of a person taking his robe and covering the other person. Uh, it's, a, it's a euphemism for marriage. It's the way that God talks about Israel in Ezekiel 16, that he takes the corners of his garment and covers her. So this is, this is a marriage proposal. Ruth is asking Boaz to marry her because he is a redeemer. But there's even more to it than that. If you go back to chapter 2 and look at verse 12, look at, look at how Boaz prays for Ruth. He says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done for her mother-in-law and the full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So it's the same exact words, under whose wings. So Ruth is now asking Boaz to be the Lord's agent in taking care of her, right? Boaz was saying, you've, you've come to take refuge under the Lord's wings. May he bless you. And Ruth is basically saying, the Lord has covered me, and I want you to cover me. I want you to take care of me. I want you to protect me, all right? So what can we learn? This is, now, this is, a, this is a really bold appeal. This is bold on Ruth's part, right? Because she has nothing to offer Boaz, Again, she's a widow. She's a foreigner. She's not bringing anything to the table. There's nothing in the there's nothing in the bank account, right? She's coming completely needy. She's vulnerable. She's needy. She has nothing to offer. What What do we learn from Ruth's bold appeal? 
even though she has nothing to offer, she comes boldly. She comes boldly because she knows the kind of person, she knows the kind of man she's coming to. And is that not how we come to God? Listen to Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen to these words written by William Gadsby. They were written in the, night, in the, in the 1800s. It says this, Come boldly to the throne of grace, you wretched sinner come, and lay your load at Jesus' feet and plead what he has done. That's how we come to Jesus. We come boldly to the throne of grace, the same way that Ruth came boldly to Boaz, needy, asking for grace. Now the question is, what will Boaz say? How will Boaz respond in the dark when no one is looking? You may have heard that old saying, right? Character is who, character is who you are when no one is looking. And so if, if that's true, right, if character is who you are when no one is looking, then we find Boaz to be a model man, a model of integrity and generosity and kindness. We saw that last week. Uh, when he was out in the field, uh, he was generous with Ruth then. But now we see it again. We see it in a few ways. First, look at the way he speaks to her. He speaks kindly to her. He calls her my, he calls her my daughter. He blesses her. Right? He doesn't berate her for risking his reputation. He doesn't send her away. He speaks kindly to her. He speaks God's blessing over her. Second, he praises her character. He calls her a worthy woman. And that word, that's the same description used in Proverbs 31 to describe the ideal woman. The word for worthy there means strong, and it has broad application. It can be used about, uh, about warriors in battle, so that word applies to David's mighty men. But it also refers to strength of character which is what we see in Proverbs 31. And so, ladies, you could pray that God would make you like Ruth, bold, generous, kind, the kind of person who takes initiative and yet walks by faith. But that same word, worthy, also describes Boaz. We saw that in chapter 2, verse 1, right? He's a noble man. He has strength of character as well. So in terms of character, these two are well matched. They both embody God's wisdom and grace. So he speaks kindly to her. He praises her character. But I want you to notice most of all that he doesn't take advantage of her. It's a compromising position for both of them. But instead of using his power and position to abuse her or shame her, he blesses her. He agrees to her proposal. And not only that, right, he, said, he says, I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Not only does he agree to her proposal, but then he also sends her home with so much grain that he actually has to load it on her back or on her head. Right? So she... So he gave, her, he gave her a lot at the end of chapter 2. Now he gives her even more. 
And in that way, he also blesses Naomi. Naomi, who came back empty, and now she is starting to be filled back up again. And so, men, we could pray that God would make us like Boaz, worthy men, men of strength and wisdom and integrity and generosity. Now, we still have a problem. The, the, the author inserts one more question in here, and it's this, and it's this notion that there's another redeemer. Uh, we've seen that Boaz is able to help, and Boaz is willing to help, but there's a closer kinsman than him, right? There's somebody, somebody closer in the family line. And even that is a show of Boaz's integrity, because he lets the law play itself out, right? He knows he's not first in line, and so he says, we've got to give this guy the right of first refusal, but... We're going to get it settled. We're going to get it handled. And we're going to see how this story resolves next week. So Boaz is a real man. And in that way, he points us to the true man, Jesus. Boaz is able to help. So is Jesus. Boaz is willing to help. So is Jesus. Jesus is both willing and able to help those who come to him in need. And just like Boaz, he will not rest until the matter is settled. Friend, do you have a redeemer like that? See, the way that you become a man like Boaz is by trusting in the true man, Jesus. And as you behold the face of Jesus, you are transformed more and more into Jesus' image. And so, do you know that Jesus? Do you know Jesus to be the kind and gracious Savior that he is? If you don't, I hope you'll speak to me today after worship is over. I'd love to, to talk more about that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for difficult passages and places. Um, we pray that you would apply your word to our hearts. May we be wise and worthy people. May our, our women be like Ruth and our men like Boaz. And may we ultimately find our rest in the one and true Redeemer, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, we have a missionary report this morning.